We are going to be continuing in our study of Mark, and we are going to be studying in Mark 7, 24-37. And this passage occurs after what is the most intense confrontation between the Pharisees and Jesus um, yet. Uh, the intensity of their conflict has been escalating throughout the the book, and we reach Mark 7, where they have a big confrontation over the traditions of the elders and cleanness and uncleanness. And so there's a big confrontation, and then in the midst of this confrontation, Jesus leaves Jewish lands and goes to neighboring Gentile lands. Tyre and Sidon, and then the Decapolis are the two stories that we're going to be encountering. So while Jesus is in these two regions, he encounters two different people who help shed light on the question we're going to be exploring today, which is how we can possibly become clean in God's sight. So let's read God's word together. Mark seven twenty four through 37. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and didn't want, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we might be encouraged, comforted, and we might know the way of life. We pray, Lord, that you would open it to us this morning and we might understand and be comforted, convicted, and challenged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past month um, or two, the coronavirus has caused a great deal of stress and trouble and difficulty and disruption in people's lives, in people's families, in society, and even economic troubles. Numerous flights have been canceled. Uh, There's been travel bans instituted against certain countries. Um, And having lived in China and Korea for 10 years before returning to the U.S., I have a great deal of friends and family who've been directly impacted by this coronavirus. I know missionaries who have been recalled, uh, friends and family who have had to keep their kids' homes for over a month from school just because of this, people who have had to make the difficult decision of, am I going to go to work this week, or am I going to wait a little longer and stay home until the course of the virus in my city has passed on by? And as a result of the spread of virus, there has even been an app developed for your smartphone where you can track where people have checked into hospitals and have the coronavirus, and you can avoid that region of the city you live in. It's understandable. The coronavirus is a deadly virus. Yes, it might be being made a bigger deal than some people consider it to be, but it is a deadly virus that people want to avoid, understandably. In Jesus' day, 
there was a spiritual religious concept known as uncleanness. And not unlike the coronavirus, people would go out of their way to avoid it if at all possible. See, the Bible uses many uh, descriptions and images to help us understand what exactly sin is. Um, Sin is what separates us from God and separates us from each other. Um, It's the result of humanity rebelling against God. And one of the images used to describe sin again and again from the Old Testament to the New is clean and unclean. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees had taken this biblical concept to an unhealthy extreme. They were obsessed with ritual purity. Um, Earlier in Mark 7, they talked with the disciples, why don't you do the ritual washings that we do before we eat? Um, James Edwards, a scholar who writes on Mark, notes, unclean for Pharisaic rabbis were any form of human excretion, that includes spit, um, anything, women after childbirth, corpses, carrion, creeping things, any bugs, idols, certain classes of people, such as lepers, Samaritans, and Gentiles. And for many Pharisees, even women who they were not married to were considered unclean. For Pharisees and other Jewish groups, uncleanness was a matter of objects and people that they encountered, a matter of being outside of themselves that impacted them. Just like the people that avoid the coronavirus for fear of how it will impact their lives, maybe even bring death to them, in Jesus' time, people avoided those who were unclean or unclean situations for fear of how it would impact them spiritually, socially. But Jesus explained earlier in Mark 7 to the Pharisees and the crowds that it's not outward actions, behaviors, or even other people that makes one unclean. Rather, it is what comes outside of a, from inside of a person, outside, that makes us unclean. It's a problem with our heart that makes us unclean. So uncleanness is a result of what uh, is inside of our heart. And everyone's heart has evil thoughts, as Jesus talked about in Mark 7, that comes out from within and makes us unclean in God's sight. So the reality that presents us in this passage is that we are all unclean in God's sight because of our hearts, which are opposed to him. So the question that is naturally on the readers of Mark's gospel and should be on our minds is that if we, everyone, are unclean in God's sight because of our heart, then how possibly can we become clean? Jesus had just said, everything in our hearts makes us unclean. And then he goes away to the Decapolis and Tyre and Sidon, away from his people. So that question was on the reader's minds. So we're going to explore that question through the interactions Jesus has with these two people. And we're going to answer two questions about how we can get clean. Who made these people clean in this passage? And how, who, uh, oh, sorry, who can be made clean and who made them clean? So is it possible that everybody can become clean is the, the first question. So in verse 25, if you look in the Bible with me, we see a Gentile woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal her daughter who has an unclean spirit. At this time in history, women were viewed as lesser than men. Some writers, both Jew and Greek, actually argued that women were responsible for all sin. Uh, James Edwards, a scholar who writes on Mark, says her description, the woman's description, reads like a crescendo of demerit. She is a woman, a Greek Gentile, from the infamous pagans of Syrian Phoenicia. Gentiles, by their very background, their very birth, were viewed as unclean. There's nothing they could do to change that in many Jewish people's minds. And so Jesus was treading dangerous ground here, being in a, a house privately with this woman. Um, Just by being in her presence, many Pharisees would view him as having now become ritually unclean. But the woman comes to Jesus begging that he heal her daughter. 
The word for beg you here is one that's repeated, insistent, it's not giving up. His, however, Jesus' response might seem almost like cold indifference to many of us who are familiar with what he's done earlier in Mark. Uh, his response, we read, it, some people have even argued that it's offensive. In verse 27, we read, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. However, this is not cold indifference on the part of Jesus, but actually, as many of the commentators I studied argued, a playful highlighting of God's kingdom. Jesus' one sentence here is actually a brief parable of what God's kingdom is all about. And we can see that if we study a little bit further what all these words used here are. Jesus does not exclude her or other Gentiles, um, merely saying that the children should be fed first. He gives a priority to his ministry to the people of Israel so that he can restore them to their original calling to be a light to the nations. And it was at that time a common saying that the Jews were God's children and Gentiles were the dogs. But when the Jewish people would use that saying, they would use the offensive word for dogs of dogs that run wild in the streets. The word for dog that Jesus used here is a dog that's kept as a pet in the house, which was a rare dog in that time, but still existed. And Jesus' one-sentence parable is meant to highlight what his specific current earthly ministry is, what he came for. He came to God's chosen people to restore and redeem them to the original calling God gave them from the very beginning in Genesis 12, when he called them to be a blessing to the nations, including this Gentile woman. But they had failed, as the whole Old Testament portrays. They had failed at their mission that they had been called to. So Jesus is saying, this is why I came. First, I came to do this. How does she respond? Her response shows, again, that this is not an offensive, cold, indifferent on, uh, on Jesus' part. She doesn't slink away. She doesn't go away humiliated by Jesus' indifference. No, she takes Jesus' parable, his sentence, and she doubles down on her request. She puts herself in the parable to ask again, please heal my daughter. In verse 28, she playfully answers him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Again, the words used here highlight the playful banter. Earlier, Jesus' word for children is one exclusively of a biological child. But the word child that the woman uses is a word that can include both children and beloved servants that have become part of the family. The word the woman uses here has the connotation of one who is committed completely in obedience to another person. What is she saying here? She's saying, yes, Lord, I understand that your ministry is to the people of Israel, but I also know that your father's goodness and benevolence is so great that it expands beyond the father's chosen offspring to others, to who, those who would commit themselves to him. Your mission is to the children, but it also includes the dogs. This, unknown, uh, this unnamed woman comes to Jesus persistently, humbly, and trustingly. The woman's response is amazing if you consider the day and the period that she lived in. Jesus had been trying so long to explain what his kingdom was all about to his disciples, but they just weren't getting it. The Pharisees he'd been arguing with earlier in chapter 7 weren't getting it. And in verse 30 of our, of our book, of our chapter, we see a final emphasis from the author, Mark, that the Gentile woman and her daughter have been included in the kingdom of God. Mark uses the same word child, which means beloved servant, to refer to this woman's daughter when it talks about her being healed. So Mark is emphasizing that this woman is part of God's people because of her trust in God, in Jesus. 
In the second account, uh, when Jesus goes to the Gentile region of Decapolis, uh, we see that people bring a deaf man to him. Uh, this man has a speech impediment, and uh, the people are gathering around to Jesus for him to heal this man. Um, according to the deaf community, I don't know. I, I'm, I've not experienced that. I have a friend who's deaf, but he, he's explained this to me. Deafness can be extremely difficult. Uh, maybe you might have thought, if I had to choose between being deaf and blind, I might choose being deaf because I could at least see where I can go. But people in the deaf community talk about how it's incredibly difficult because it's not often a visible impairment. People don't know that you're deaf, so they speak at you and they treat you as if you can understand. And it's incredibly humiliating as people think you're stupid or you just don't understand what's going on, especially at this period when people weren't as familiar with uh, things that impacted people's lives. There was no sign language. There's no way this man could communicate with others. He was incredibly isolated from other humans because of the effects of God's broken creation due to our sin. But someone cared about him enough to bring him to Jesus after hearing reports of Jesus's miraculous healings. Again, we read the people begged Jesus to heal him. And Jesus' method of healing might seem very strange to us, uh, but he does it in a specific way for specific reasons. First, at that time, it was common for people who were pagan healers, who are not Jewish, um, and obviously not Jewish, Jesus, it was common for pagan healers to do a physical sign when they healed a person. Second, Jesus shows incredible tender care for this man in the manner that he heals him. Jesus takes him away from the crowds to further avoid more embarrassment and isolation. Jesus visibly, tactilely showed the man what he was going to do. He touches his ears. He spits on his tongue. He's showing him, I'm about to do something to these areas. He can't talk to the man. The man won't be able to hear. So he shows the man physically, tactile, what he's going to do. And then he looks up to heaven so that he knows, shows the man where the healing is going to come from. And then Jesus verbally says, be opened. And those are the first words the man hears. It's Jesus' authoritative command and the result of him hearing. The man is healed, and people are amazed. They're incredible wonder, and they can't be silenced about it. So in these two interactions with the Gentile woman and the deaf man, we see that all people can come to be made clean. It doesn't matter if you are unclean because of your birth. It doesn't, mean if you're sep- it doesn't matter if you're separated and isolated by the results of sin. You can come and be made clean. I love children's books. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that. I love to read to my children. I love to talk to them about what the books are about. Uh, they often have an incredible amount of wisdom if we just pay attention. Um, most of them. Some of them don't. But Dr. Seuss is a great uh, resource, and it was just his birthday this past week. So in honor of him, I'm going to share a little story from that. In one book, The Sneetches, uh, there's a community of Sneetches. And if you're familiar with this story, you'll, hopefully I don't get it wrong. It's been a while. Uh, and they live on a beach. And there are two types of Sneetches, those who have a star on their belly and those who don't. And the ones that have a star on their belly, they're part of the popular exclusive group. And they look down on the plain belly Sneetches and exclude them. Like, you can't be part of our, he calls them Frankfurter parties. I guess they make hot dogs over a campfire. Can't be part of that. You, we don't want you here. And so the Sneetches with no stars are very excluded and isolated and feel very sad all the time. But then suddenly, uh, a monkey named Sylvester McMonkey McBean comes to town and says to them, I've got a solution. I can help you, Plain Belly Sneetches. I've got this machine that if you go into it, it'll put a star on your belly. 
So they pay them all their money, and they go through the machine, and they've got stars. And now everybody should be happy because they're all the same, right? Nope. The previously exclusive starred belly niches are really upset. What are you doing? Why are you part of our group now? How can you be in here? And they go to Sylvester McMonkey Big B, and he puts them through another machine that takes off the stars. And then there ensues a vicious cycle of stars being removed and stars being added back and forth, back and forth, with Sylvester McMonkey McBean just taking all the money and being really happy. And uh, the result is that nobody knows who is a starred belly sneech and who is a plain belly sneech. They don't know anymore. And so Sylvester McMonkey McBean goes ahead and leaves with all the money, and the result is all the sneeches just start loving each other and treating each other uh, with kindness, because at the root of it all, they were really the same all along. Uh, so this is not really any good reason why the Sneetches change. They just suddenly wake up one day and realize, oh, we're all the same. We should love each other. But we're not unlike the Sneetches. At the root of it all, humans are essentially the same. We are all created in God's image, and we are all incredibly broken because of sin and the fall. We are all Sneetches, whether we have a star or don't. And we need to be healed and restored to God's image. We all need to be made clean. And we all can come to be made clean, is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and teaches this woman and the deaf man. So these two stories highlight that, that all can be made clean through Jesus' ministry. Earlier in chapter 7, Jesus had hinted at this in his debate with his, the Pharisees and his teaching of his disciples. He had told them, I declare all foods to be made clean. And the natural then thought in any religious person at that mind would have been, well, if all things are made clean, if all foods are made clean, then what about people? What about other things? And so Jesus says, those who are far off by virtue of their birth and those who are isolated by the effects of the fall, all of you can come to be made clean. So if the answer to the question of who can be made clean is anybody, then the next question is, well, then how can they get clean? Who can make them clean? And that's when we are going to highlight a little bit more in Jesus in this passage. In both accounts, Jesus is the one who makes the woman's daughter, the woman herself, and the deaf man clean. There's no question in Mark's accounts, or even in the people's minds who received the healing, that it is Jesus the one who is doing this. From these two stories, we can see the following about who Jesus is, the one who makes them clean. First, we see Jesus' authority and power. In both accounts, we see that Jesus has the authority and the power to heal the woman's daughter and the deaf man. Simply, Jesus' words are enough to make it happen. He doesn't even see the woman's daughter. He speaks, and it happens in the woman's own home. With the woman, Jesus simply lets her know that the healing has already taken place. With the deaf man, Jesus tenderly heals the man in an intimate manner so that the man knows what's going on. But it's still Jesus' words of power that makes it happen. Second, we see his goodness and salvation is abundant, more than we can possibly understand. And in this passage, this is highlighted by Mark intentionally using specific words. If we think of this passage of, in the entire context of the book of Mark, it's actually bookended by two instances where Jesus miraculously feeds large crowds of people. Earlier in Mark 6, he miraculously feeds 5,000 mostly Jewish people. And then in Mark 8, right after the account of healing the deaf man, Jesus miraculously feeds uh, 4,000 Gentiles. Um, And the same word, eat, that the woman uses in verse 28 is only used three times in Mark. In this passage, 
and in the two accounts of feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. So this is Mark trying to tie it all together. We don't notice this because in English, we just have the word eat. But in other languages, they often have different words to emphasize something. And so Mark is emphasizing, look what is happening here and think about it in context of the miraculous feedings of the 4,000 and the 5,000. The abundant, miraculous feeding is a way of highlighting that Jesus' abundant grace and goodness is more than enough to satisfy everybody's needs. And the Gentile woman recognizes this. She answers Jesus uh, from within his parable. Lord, the crumbs of your goodness and salvation are enough for me and my daughter. I don't need the bread that's on the table. Just let them eat their fill, and then when a little bit falls off, it's enough to save me. That's the reality of our God. His abundance and goodness and grace and salvation is more than enough, more than adequate for all who will come to him. What does this say about God's abundant love and desire to do good for his creation? God's primary motivation towards us, towards us, his creatures, is not judgment. It's not wrath. His primary feeling is not disappointment. His primary feeling towards us is love, a desire for good, on our behalf, a desire for us to be redeemed and restored to the right relationship with him that he created us for. The third thing we see about Jesus in this passage is his great tenderness and compassion for the world. Jesus's look, sigh, touch, and words are ways of understanding Jesus' great compassion. If we look in verses 33-34 in our passage, we see that Jesus looks up to heaven, he sighs in compassion, He touches the man, and he speaks authoritatively. One commentator who wrote on this passage, Eckhart Schnabel, writes, This is what we need if we are to reach our pagan, secular world for Christ. An upward look of prayer, a heartfelt sigh of compassion, a loving touch upon the hurting, and a bold pronouncement of the good news. Then healing will come to our homes, our neighborhoods, our churches, and our world. The common religious teaching of Jesus' day was that an unclean person would make clean people unclean just by virtue of their presence, like an infectious disease that people would get and then become unclean religiously. But Jesus's ministry was different. He himself made clean unclean people. He didn't become unclean just by virtue of his presence. He made people clean. Just by virtue of his salvation that he brought to people, he made them clean. So we see that the only one who can make those two people and us clean is Jesus, the Son of God. He came human, became human in order to save us, to save the world. And he became unclean on the cross when he died in our place for our sins so that we might become clean in God's sight. So uh, it's very interesting if you look at all the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's often similar accounts in the different Gospels. And Matthew records this exact same account. But the way Matthew ends his account is actually very interesting for helping us understand how we should respond to this. In Matthew's recollection of the same events, he writes that Jesus ended this account with praise of the woman. He writes in Matthew fifteen twenty eight, Jesus saying, O woman, great is your faith. And that's very interesting because in Matthew, a nickname that Jesus has for the disciples is, O ye of little faith. He would often say that about them. So the disciples who spent all this time with him, he calls them little faith ones, is actually what it is. But the woman, he says, great is your faith. This woman had a great faith that Jesus was willing to praise. 
because she saw what God was doing in the world, that he came to redeem Israel, but that that is going to be much more abundant than that. He came to redeem the whole world and bring it back to him if possible. So we began the study of our passage with the question of, if everyone is unclean because of their heart, then how can we possibly become clean in God's sight? And our answer is that God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ. And so all should come to him by faith, a faith like this woman's, humble, persistent, trusting. And we can be made clean when we have that faith and come to him. So what can we learn from this woman? How can we apply it to our lives? We should have humble, persistent, trusting faith. Do you have that? Have you trusted in Jesus in this way? Have you come to him the first time? If you haven't, if you have questions about this, if you don't believe, I encourage you to talk to the person that came with you or come and find me afterwards. I love talking about these things. But the reality is that this, not, this is not just something that we move, believe once and then we move on with the rest of our life and we pick up the rest of our lives and try to do it on our own. No. The Sneetches uh, were divided into two groups, the exclusive star group and the excluded plain belly group. And in that account, Dr. Seuss just talked about how they just suddenly realized that everything was okay. That's not really realistic. And we can see that played out in our own lives and even here at EP at times. The reality is that even after we become Christians, we are still filled with judgment, bitterness, anger. We need to go again and again in faith and repentance to God, believing the gospel, repenting of our sins, and following him in love towards him and love towards others. The beautiful truth is that we are all created in the image of God, and we are all saved and restored into the image of Christ. And because that is true, we should turn to one another in love, And that's the reason why we can start loving one another. Because the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, they're created in God's image just like you. They were unclean at one time, just like you were unclean at one time. They have been made clean in Christ, just like you have been made clean in Christ. And so we can turn to one another in love, not because we are lovely, but rather because Christ has made us lovely and we are in Christ now. So I'm running out of time here, but uh, just to bring it all to a close, Mark, as he wrote this account, was intentionally echoing Isaiah 35, which you'll see in the Renew study when you you do that this week. Um, In Mark 7.32, he uses the word speech impediment to speak about this man. This word is only used one other time in the entire Bible, in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 is a beautiful picture of the future where our hoped-for salvation will be completely restored. And in that passage, it talks about how the Messiah will open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, and loosen the tongue of the mute. And then in Isaiah 35, 8 through 10, it says this, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return to come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God has prepared a highway for us, a way of holiness, and we are no longer unclean because he has given us salvation. We are redeemed, as this passage says, and we will no longer go astray if we follow him. And one day, we will no longer fear any dangers. 
because we will be completely restored. And as verse 10 of this passage says, we will be in Zion, the Old Testament picture for heaven, and we will be restored to gladness and joy, and there will be no more sorrow, and there will be no more sighing. And so that is our hope that we look forward to. Let's go to Jesus in prayer. Father God, we thank you that we have been made clean in your sight. We thank you that there is nobody, regardless of their background, regardless of their sins, regardless of what they have done, that cannot come to you and be made clean in Jesus Christ if they have humble, persistent, trusting faith. We thank you that we have been made clean and our sins are washed away and we are your sons and daughters now. Help us to leave here trusting you and ready to walk in faith, loving the, uh, you and loving those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.